Welcome everybody to the Feel Your Fandom live podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And uh, welcome in. Now we don't know who's all watching. What we're doing here is kind of uh, a test. We're going we're gonna to broadcast this entire podcast live like we're doing now to whoever's going to end up watching. Uh, but we're also recording it. It's going to get edited and turned into a regular podcast just like every other podcast. So... Uh, there's going to be moments where we are talking directly to our audience, and then there's going to be moments when we're talking to each other and kind of working a topic. So uh, the general idea is that if you're watching, you can participate. You can chime in with uh, comments, or you can talk to us about you know, nerd topics that you want to talk about. You can weigh in on the topic at large. Uh, whatever you want to do. We just want to have you guys as a part of the show. So. Yeah, I, a lot of the time I think we kind of feel like um, we never wanted this to be a one-way conduit of communication. We want this to be an interactive thing. Um, we want to hear what you guys think about the stuff that we talk about. So what better way to do that than to just go live and, and kind of let everybody participate in real time. Exactly that. And so, uh, like I said, you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fandom. You can uh, Gmail us at feelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or if you want to hit us up in the backup address, uh, that is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. That is where you want to send show ideas, guest suggestions, pie recipes, um, we keep talking, nudes. We keep, you know. <laughs> we keep talking about pie recipes. One of these days, we're going to do an entire episode based on pie. Yeah. Uh, Once I mean, we get a pie recipe, we're going to make the pies, we're going to eat the pies, and we'll actually call out the person who sent us the pie recipe. Because I don't, you know, this. And, and, as you keep reminding everybody... Everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. And I could love, I, I, could, I could get on a pie, no problem, you know? Pie fandom. Oh, and if you want to, uh, yeah. There's, <laughs> pie, a, there's a movie pie about that. A thing. There's a movie about that. I believe there is, yeah. It's called American it, Pie. Uh, it's, hey, wait a second, aren't you that guy that fucked the pie? It's defined Jason Biggs' entire career. And if you ever want to check out the latest and greatest episodes, you can find us on all of the popular streaming platforms. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Podcasts. We are everywhere and worldwide. And uh, also, the if, the best and... See, this is this is the kind of shit we cut out when we actually... Because <laughs> I'm stumbling over my words now. But now because we're live, you get to see all the words. Um... The latest and greatest episode is always going to be up at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com, and you can always go there, and that's where things get syndicated from to all the rest of the platforms. So yep. if you're impatient and you want to hear the episode as soon as Saint uploads it, you can always check it out right over there at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. That's always where the latest and greatest episode is going to be. Absolutely. And so we want to thank you guys for joining us, those of you who are here. I know we have a few people watching. Uh, Say hello in the comments. Throw some throw some stuff at us. Let's talk. But uh, kind of what we wanted to discuss today is, uh, like aside from user-based topics, we kind of wanted to talk about uh, Batman. Because I'm a huge yeah. Batman fan. I know Jim uh, really appreciates the Dark Knight himself. Definitely. Um, we come across a little bit of an irony, though. We planned this out uh, weeks ago, what we were going to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an article today that said today, June 12th, as we record, 
is International Superman Day, uh, which I found completely <sighs> hilarious. Uh, so uh, we can kind of talk about both of them. We don't have to strictly just talk about uh, Batman. We could talk about the best Superman actor as well. But uh, before we get into all that, Jim, how you doing this week, man? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I actually sustained a, a very small... Um, socially based injury uh as we've talked about in previous episodes um covid is not gone but it's receded enough especially for those of us that are fully vaccinated that we can get out and we can enjoy life and we can go and do things so i went bowling with a friend last night and bowling is usually a tough thing for i haven't been bowling in years bowling is usually a pretty tough thing for me uh because i, I wear a really odd sized shoe i wear between a 16 <laughs> and an 18 depending on what the shoe is and you can't just shop for those things off the rack Ladies. so bowling anything that requires special footwear yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. You've heard it's what you've heard about guys with big feet. We have very, very big hearts. That is very true. Um, I was going to say big socks. Well, that's also true. Um, but yeah, so I went to the counter and asked for shoes, and I asked, "How big do your shoes go?" Because I wasn't planning on actually bowling. Because the place we went had darts and pool and beer, and um, also video games and beer, and then pinball and beer. Because it's Milwaukee, you know. Um, so they actually had shoes that would fit me. So I slapped them on and did some bowling. Never thought for a second that, uh, that the ball would be an issue, but I, I went through most of the bowling balls on the rack and trying to find one that fit. The only one that actually fit my giant meat cook of a hand was a very, very heavy ball. And I thought, you know what? That's not a big deal. I guess I can work with that. Sprained my stupid finger on the first frame. Um, <laughs> I went to go release the ball to roll it down the, the lane, and I heard a pop, and I saw stars for about an eighth of a second, and I thought, oh, shit. And today it's uh, a little swollen. It's a little bit painful. Um, I'm just going to take it easy on it for a couple of days and see how it goes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm so fucking lame that I sustained a bowling injury. How's that for stupid? Michael uh, Smolitz says uh, he misses bowling. Well, would you miss bowling so much if you broke yourself as you did it? Because I'm guaranteeing Smo- less- Last time I went bowling, uh, I threw my back out. So I mean, I get it. I'm just—we're getting old, yeah. man. We're getting old. Yeah. Smolars so. is a huge—he's fr- he's a huge fan of the podcast and, and, a, and a great friend of mine. Mike Smolars, Smo—we've always called him Smo ever since we were kids. Smo is the reason I have an Xbox Series X. So oh, you're I the guy. Controller. Every you're time I grab guy. this baby right here, I thank Smo for uh, for being such a great cat. So he's he's a. Uh, You've been mentioned He's quite a, a few guy. times on the podcast, Smo, so welcome to it. Wow. Yeah, uh, and if you want to check out Smo on social media, if you want to go to uh, Instagram and Twitter, um, Smo is zero skill, zero with an X, X-E-R-O underscore skill. And he's uh, you can find him on Twitter and also Instagram, and I, I highly suggest you do. He, he posts a lot of gaming content. Which we absolutely uh, enjoy. We love that. Video gaming being uh, key among my my many favorite hobbies. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you broke yourself bowling. Eh, well, I mean, broke myself bowling. And that's worse. a very important finger. That is an important finger to actually have in, in, in good operating shape. So hopefully that rehabs pretty soon. Um, yeah, God forbid. Send flowers. Uh, you can send flowers and, and, and goodwill to uh, to the uh, fyf talent booking at gmail uh, or you and can just recipes. get your own bowling ball and not have to worry about it. You know, uh, uh, my lady and I actually talked about that yesterday because uh, I, I was kind of doing the bowling with, with the friend as a dry run to see if I could actually still bowl. And it turns out, no, because uh, not only did I sprain my finger, I think I bowled like a 98. But, um, you know, that's stuff that comes back. But 
before uh, I did go bowling, I, I actually looked online to see if I couldn't find a pair of bowling shoes in my size that I could actually buy that I could have so I don't have to worry about, am I going to roll up to a bowling alley and they're not going to have shoes for me? So I ordered a pair of bowling shoes, and the ball comes next, but the fingers got to rehab first. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Smo's talking about nothing like a good conversation about balls. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so we're getting back nice on track. Nice big heavy balls. Heavy balls, yeah. that's right. we we got to get back on track, too, because we've also got uh, uh, people uh, commenting on uh, the topic. Uh, we have... Uh, Great. Uh, Josh... I'm trying to read this. I'm old and my eyes suck. Josh Baumbach. Uh, hey, Josh, what's going on? He says, unpopular opinion, Ben Affleck has been the best Batman. The movies are not great, but I love his portrayal. Okay, so that gets to the heart of what I wanted to discuss with this, actually. Now, we've had yeah. a great many live-action actors portray Batman, from Adam West, Michael Keaton, yep. Val Kilmer, George Clooney, and we're just talking in the in the modern era. We're not going to go yeah. so far back as like the old serials, because a lot of people don't have much experience with those serials. But uh, And then we come up to the modern times with Christian Bale and with Ben Affleck. And now with yep. Robert Pattinson, but we really don't have a basis mm-hmm. to compare Robert Pattinson yet. We don't. But that's the that's the real problem with uh, these superheroes with secret identities is you can have a character who is uh, a good Batman. Uh, you mm-hmm. could have a character who's a good Bruce Wayne, but it's yeah. really random and rare when you uh, find someone who can do both. And that's kind of yeah. how I judge the Batman. Get you a Batman that can do both. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and uh, what, what happens is, uh, like with uh, Michael Keaton, we had a really good uh, Batman with Michael Keaton. His was yeah. a, one of the first in the modern era. Matt Luria. What's up, Matt? Um, but yeah, so I mean, Michael Keaton uh, portrayed a really good uh, version of both, but we didn't have a whole lot of basis for comparison at that point. So what right. we ended up with is, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I don't want to try and trash talk uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. He was great. I enjoyed those movies thoroughly as a kid. Oh yeah, um, big time. But it comes across camp, and of course, that's the same thing we get with uh, with Adam West. But Adam West was, of course, designed to be in that camp version of... I almost kind of look at the Keaton Batman films as being sort of like a, a Venn diagram transitional thing between like the, uh, where is she? The Christian Bale really uber gritty Batman and the Adam West Batman. Because Tim Burton obviously is 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 kind of the guy who owns the camp goth space a little bit. Um, if you look at any of his films from Nightmare Before Christmas to Sweeney Todd... Um, you know, and, and especially the Batman movies, uh, they're, they're camp goth. And so I think that whether or not that was an intentional thing on the part of the creators of that film to sort of like placate and satisfy the, the audiences of both the original Adam West Batman from the sixties and to kind of rope in the, uh, the Frank Miller Dark Knight, cause that came out in about 86 and the original Batman with Michael Keaton was like 89 is very heavily influenced by that book. Um, I think it was, if, if not a conscious attempt, at least it kind of came across that way to me because I had been a fan of, of both sort of versions of Batman. Because, let's, you know, let's remember, like, in, in the 60s, um, during sort of like the, uh, I don't know my comic book eras very well, so it's not the Silver <laughs> Age. Maybe it's Golden Age in the 60s. Um, I think Golden Age. But, yeah, I think it's Golden Age. But Batman started off 
in the you know when when he first came out like in the 40s he was he was a very dark hero um and let's not forget like this is a guy who's uh whose parents got murdered in front of him and then a bat flew through his window so he decided to start you know dressing up like dracula and beating up criminals i mean that's a pretty grim (laughs) origin story um, yeah. you know, but then in the sixties, he got awful camp. They, they threw Robin into the mix a little bit. And so I remember reading some of those older comics and seeing like the, the, the bat cave depicted as like a big carnival atmosphere, almost with a giant penny and the huge T-Rex statue. And, I and that's where the Biff Pow Zam's done. I did too. That was, that was a great take on the character. And that was what informed the Adam West version of Batman. But then, you know, in the eighties, comics got real dark alan moore was kicking out comics frank miller was kicking out comics uh neil gaiman i think was starting to make inroads and so things got a little bit um darker in the 80s things got real grim dark and gritty and so which dc really kind of has a habit of yeah as we, they do. As we they previously do. discussed yeah uh so the um that character, they, they, they sort of realize, hey, this is a guy whose parents were murdered in front of him, and he dresses up like Dracula and beats up mentally ill people. So we got to kind of lean into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, the Michael Keaton Batman, I really do feel, because it was sort of like half the Biff Pauzam, you know, and holy hardnips, Robin, Mr. Freeze is out of Arkham again, and you know. Right. And then it was uh, sort of a, almost a transition into sort of the Batman that came later. It's true. And... and... I did neglect one uh, Batman because we haven't seen him in costume yet, so we've only gotten the Bruce Wayne side of him, really. Uh, but Ian Glenn, uh, from Game of Thrones fame, hmm. uh, plays uh, Bruce Wayne in the Titans uh, television show. So, Oh, see, that's news to me. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. I, I recommend Titans, by the way. It's a very, very, uh, you want to talk about grim, dark, and gritty. Holy crap. Yeah. But... Uh, I recommend well, to have it, the Batman character, you're right. You have to have that duality of, uh, of of Batman and Bruce Wayne. And I think while Keaton's Batman, even though people sort of balked at the uh, the casting when it originally came out, um, he wound up being um, kind of the best. Uh, well, what, the, the best Batman to date, I will say that. Even though he he kind of surprised people, but his Bruce Wayne was not quite as effective. I feel because Keaton right. is just so kind of like he's got that real that real twitchy energy, you know, he's, he's not very sort of like suave or laid back. And it's kind of like the James Bond character. You've got to be able to, you know, kick ass in a fight, but also look really good wearing a, a tuxedo at a Baccarat table in Monaco. You have to have the duality of that character because you've got secret identity shit going on all the time. So right. Keaton's Batman, once he got in the suit, his Batman was actually pretty effective, but I, I did not care for his Bruce Wayne. So not that bad, was not bad considering you couldn't turn his neck. Uh... Right. You always remember kind of like, him doing this kind of stuff whenever he had to like look around because that rubber neck piece was just so stiff. And I've worn a cowl like that. I, 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 that. I tried one of those on as a kid just as part of a costume idea. And even just the yeah. costume one was very limiting as far as where you could turn your head. But I wanted nothing more in 1990 than to have that costume. And so... Uh, well, I you know, I, I this we probably should have roped... Uh, should have roped Paul Haga into this one because Paul is a former guest on the podcast. He he was our, our cosplay expert, and he has uh, cosplayed Batman in uh, different versions of the the dark suit uh, mm-hmm. many many times. And so I would like to at some point pick his brain to see how the mobility of the of the neck, especially in, in the new cowls they have or whatever he's built, if he's managed to sort of like work around that uh, retrofit that something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got Matt Luria says of course uh, that he prefers Michael Keaton. And then Smoke came back and said that uh, uh, he enjoyed Christian Bale's Batman, but he hated his mouth. See, and that was more—that's co- more costuming right. than anything else. And of course, everyone gives the uh, 
the uh, the voice, the the gravelly voice. I swear to me, swear to me. You know, I mean, everyone yeah <laughs> gets all opinionated about that, but I mean, really, he's so far he was one of the only ones that kind of uh, was able to handle the debonair side of Bruce Wayne and the the action-oriented parts of of Batman as well. And yeah, he did well with the action stuff. I just didn't, you know, and his Bruce Wayne was great, but the the voice just killed it for me. Because if you want to do a Batman voice, you might be able to drop a couple of registers and be very, but you don't have to, you don't have to sound like your gargling kitty letter, like you're auditioning for a screamo band. I mean, and Christian Bale went way, way over the top with the voice. Yeah, drop your voice a couple octaves, put some brown in it, but don't be like, don't, don't line your entire larynx with sandpaper. Did you say put some brown in it? What does that even mean? Well, like I, I keep on thinking of like the, the the brown tone, like the very deep sort of uh, it's the brown note. Dude, I can't wait till those New Yorker kids play the brown noise and crap their pants. <laughs> they used to refer to it as <laughs> that uh, makes you shit your some pants? sounds are just vi- <laughs> not that one. No, I mean they they do refer to that as that as well, but but no, just uh, the sort of thing where you're you're trying to put just a little bit of a um, a darkness in your voice, just a little bit of a of a of a timbre that that sounds kind of menacing, kind of threatening, kind of serious. Right, but. Once you get into this kind of stuff, it just sounds like stupid. And it gets cartoony and real gross. quick. It does. It does. And I think okay. So, so now that brings us back to uh, we're, we can we can we're mostly discussing uh, live action Batman, but we can also talk take a moment to talk about one of my absolute Kevin favorite Conroy. Batman, Kevin Conroy. Absolutely. Yes. He in terms of vocal characterization, right? He stands out in my mind as across. I mean, he did it for years. Between the Batman the Animated Series, the Justice League cartoons, like numerous... All the video games. Video games and numerous uh, made-for-TV movies and all those animated DC movies. He did a lot of voice work as as yeah. uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman. And, and really, it was... It became synonymous for me after a while. Like, I couldn't yeah. not hear Kevin Conroy do it. So, like, when they first uh, uh, moved Kevin Conroy off of that and they brought... Uh, like for instance, Will Arnett. Oh God, but yeah, he was Lego Batman. Yeah, he and, was. And then they brought uh, Bruce Greenwood in to do it for some mm-hmm. of these animated movies too. And I like Bruce Greenwood. Don't get me wrong, but it's just uh, Kevin Conroy is Batman for at least two generations of, of Batman fans, whether they were animated fans or video game fans. I mean, physically, the dude doesn't look much like a Bruce Wayne or a Batman, but his voice. Is the Batman voice because if you li- if you watch those those uh, those animated um, uh, Batman shows or the movies, and Mask of the Phantasm was fantastic. If you watch those, he's got that perfect duality of vocal tone between the Bruce Wayne and the Batman to right. the point where nobody would know that because the whole thing the whole conceit of the character is that. You know, nobody knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. There are rumors, and anybody in the real world, of course, would put it together. But you have to sort of like uh, suspend your disbelief a little bit. Um, but he's got when he when he does Bruce Wayne, his voice is very um, upbeat and playful, and kind of sounds like the carefree millionaire, billionaire playboy. Um, but when he does Batman, all he, he does laughs. is drop it a couple registers and kind of take the color out of it. Yeah. And yeah, and he just kind of makes it real serious, and it works effectively, really, really well. Why so serious? Yep. So let's see. Uh, we got more votes for Keaton. Uh, a lot of people like Keaton. I mean, and again, I'm not going to say anything about about Keaton. I love Keaton. Those movies yeah. were a huge part of my childhood. But like we're saying, uh, uh, we go from Keaton uh, in the first two Batman movies to the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, and we end up with uh, Val Kilmer. Now, here's my. 
these are going to be controversial takes here, okay? And so this is, send all your hate mail to Jim at... No. <laughs> Hell no, I'm not going to say anything. But uh, I thought that Val Kilmer played a very decent Batman, but yeah. he played an absolute shit Bruce Wayne. And then on the other hand, I thought that George Clooney, being George Clooney... Mm-hmm. Played a fantastic Bruce Wayne, but not a very good Batman. And see, and that's where we come into the, the bat nipples did kill it. Uh, and, and every time I ask somebody this question in real life, I've been asking people for weeks as I work and everything, asking my coworkers and everyone else. And uh, I, bat nipples almost always gets brought up. And it's, I mean, yeah. it was an unfortunate costuming choice. It really was. And it soured people to that entire movie. I think... That was one of the only movies I've walked out on. It's like when he's mm. when he's and I love Batman. I told you and I love movies, and so yeah. we're watching this movie in the theater, and uh, he clicks his little heels together, and the bat skates pop out of the bottom of his bat boots, and I was <laughs> I was just between that and uh, all the ice puns <clears throat> coming out of Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. I was just like, okay, um, I'm done. We've gone back. I mean, we really have. And, and this, I, this is, this I is sat another... through the entire movie of Vampire in Brooklyn, and I wanted to leave, but I didn't. You're welcome, Eddie Murphy. But mm-hmm. I left in that movie. I, I got my money back. I couldn't do it. The only movie I've ever walked out of, uh, and this is, again, a controversial opinion, so definitely send your hate mail to me on this one. <laughs> I walked out of, uh, of, of Moulin Rouge. Because I sort of have, when you're looking at like the sort of Baz Luhrmann style of movie, and we're getting way off topic here, but that's kind of our brand by now, so you should be used to it. Um, when you're looking at that style of movie, I think when you're looking at like the Romeo and Juliet with, uh, with Claire Danes and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, that works because Shakespeare is timeless. I have seen productions of Shakespeare. I saw a Henry VIII that was set in Nazi Germany. I saw a Midsummer Night's Dream that was set in the inner city where Puck was a 300-pound woman who sang gospel it was fucking amazing and it was just that lends itself well to interpretation but you can't really go the other way you can't you you can take things that are classic and bring them into a modern setting but i i would argue that that based on the on how that film made me feel you can't take things that are modern and put them in a classic setting obviously we've got um sort of like uh turn of the century france going on there you've got toulouse lautrec going on the whole impressionist movement um but then you took like modern music and put it into the context of this classic setting. And I was watching it going, this is awful. I can see what they're trying to do here, but it just doesn't fucking work. And then the moment I tapped out was when Jim Broadbent started singing like a virgin. Then I was like, you know what? I'm out. I can't, I cannot continue to participate in this. I'm actually legitimately humiliated for the people who are in it. I'm embarrassed for everybody on the screen. And it was, uh, what was it? Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. And it was just, I, I you know, I, to this day, I'm, I'm sort of like wounded by it. I couldn't, it had so much potential and it just went nowhere. So that was really sad for me. So what you're saying is, uh, you will not be voulez-vous coucher avec moi? C'est soi. Hmm. So, <laughs> I don't know, we got, we, we always get sidetracked. Now we're talking about movies. Yeah, back to Batman. Back, back to, to Batman. Batman. So, again, uh. Yeah, the duality of that character is key. Right. It's very crucial. And in that regard, uh, who, uh, whoever said that um, you know Affleck was was probably the best Batman, but was saddled with the shittiest movies? I, I'm really inclined to kind of agree with that assessment because right, that was Josh Ben Affleck. Oh, cool. Uh, hey, Josh. Yeah, I remember. That's that's a, a great point because 
Um, yeah, physically, I think Ben Affleck is probably the closest to sort of the ideal Bruce Wayne. You know, good looking, dark hair, square jaw, imposing physique. I mean, he's, he's and we, got and, and at the that Bruce point Wayne we wanted the, we wanted the grizzled Batman. And that yeah. was talked about Almost the entire time. Almost a Frank Miller time. Batman. Right, exactly. And they, they drew on Frank Miller, uh, Dark Knight 4, that inspiration for that. So, Yeah. That whole fight scene between Batman and Superman in Batman vs. Superman, uh, regardless of whether or not the movie was a pile of dog shit, that was t- taken directly from The Dark Knight Returns. The bat armor and all that, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that Ben Affleck, um, he looks the most like how you want Bruce Wayne to look. And in the suit, you know, he pulls it off. He still suffers from kitty litter voice a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, physically, I think he's, he's probably the closest we've gotten <laughs> to, to being voice. able to represent both sides of that coin. Kitty litter voice. That's <clears throat> fucking hilarious. Just gargle some hot gravel. And uh, that's, all I, that's all I can hear when I, where is she? That's all I can hear when they pull shit like that. And and I, I I talk about that shit with uh, when I uh, when I when I talk about my singing because I do sing in a heavy metal band. It is uh, uh, difficult and uh, mm-hmm. a very taxing. And I'm finding that out on the vocal cords. Yeah, you're having to learn some of that shit now. So yeah, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna. I, I got asked to uh, audition for slash possibly even join a band that's not a heavy metal band, but they're doing some '90s grunge. And they're doing some uh, some mid period Foo Fighters stuff and some some Chris Cornell stuff, some Audio Slave and some uh, some Soundgarden. And so that's it, I'm, I've been working it out in the car, and uh, some of that stuff I can hit those notes, but uh, some of them aren't pretty, so I need to work on it. But yeah, a lot of it is is that sort of like exactly throwing some some extra some grit way at the back of your throat, gargling some spit a little bit, and trying to get that scratchy vocal fry thing going on. And <laughs> and so that's that's very much a feature of that character. So you and I know how tough that is. So I can only imagine like somebody like Christian Bale on the set. Um, I, I don't think it was a Batman movie where he was uh, right. You're in my light now. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. When he when he went off on his rant, you know, I wouldn't do that to you. I know that it was a little bit. Um, it kind of didn't didn't sink his career, but it wasn't like a good PR move. But um, I don't think it was a Batman movie. But if it was, I could see. Okay, you're you're wrapped in a, in a no, hot ass rubber suit that, for hours on end. Terminator Salvation was when. Uh, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. I want you off the fucking set, you prick. Sorry. No, don't just be sorry. Think for one fucking second. But I mean, you know, as an actor, I remember reading about and again, in unforgivable tangents. Some of the stuff that people have to go through on these movie sets. Um, like Jim Carrey on the set of the Grinch movie, he almost quit. He almost quit and ate the, the termination clause in his contract, which was several million dollars, but he was making more than that. And he had more than that in his pocket at the time. Um, because (laughs) the suit was apparently so uncomfortable. They had to call in a, um, an expert that, that works with military veterans, uh, who've, who've had to wear oppressively heavy or hot or, or restrictive gear, to be able to get him through, like a PTSD guy to get him through the Grinch movie because yeah. that suit, that makeup, that, that green fuzzy head-to-toe bullshit they put him in, it looked great, but apparently it was just insufferable to deal with. And very famously, very recently, um, Dave Bautista has said that he's his go-around in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 will be the, his last um, suiting up as Drax the Destroyer. Well, because he's like, because he, he says he's going to be anymore. 50 years old and he doesn't want to be doing this when yeah. he's like 50. He's going to be 52. Maintaining the physique is really hard, but then he spends, I think he said, between like five and six hours in the makeup chair every day just to get that Drax, the body application the going on. The gray head to yeah. toe and, like the, and the tattoos and shit. So he's he's tapping out because the makeup is just too hard. <laughs> Josh, 
He quoted Christian Bale. Oh, good for you. Oh, good for you. Oh, good for you. Yeah, that uh, was... Matt Lurie so, wants so to know to our that. thoughts on the Snyder Cut. Well, uh, that kind of puts us directly in the middle of uh, our Ben Affleck uh, yeah. bullshit. I mean, the thing is, here's the thing with the Snyder Cut. I enjoyed it for what it was. I think I have to take it as a separate piece of art from the original Justice League movie. And I say art with heavy sarcastic quotes around it. Yeah. Uh, the shit coming out about Joss Whedon, by the way, about that whole mm. interaction and all of his uh, uh, toxic interactions with his actors and actresses uh, going way back now, all of a sudden, is really, really alarming because I really enjoyed yeah. a lot of Joss Whedon's work. Of course, he did a lot of work for the Avengers. He did firefly he did buffy he did all that shit and and i really enjoyed his work but again yeah. uh if you're toxic and you don't realize you're toxic or you don't care if you're toxic i don't know it, it's just you don't care if you're toxic was that your yeah brain? i just dropped a little britney spears, britney spears on you. that's yeah, what okay. i did yeah. The, the thing is, is, is uh, we talked about this with the sparkling consequences and why people like Kevin Spacey yeah. are able to be uh, completely shunned and why people like... Uh, 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 James Gunn. James Gunn. And the, the differences between people like James Gunn and, and Kevin Spacey and, of course... Uh, God, now I'm starting to forget her name just because I don't like... Gina Carano. Gina Carano. You should forget right. her name. We should we should never speak of her again. That's, that's probably a good instinct to forget that woman's name because she's so terrible. <laughs> But but exactly that. That's that's why we're able to, uh, like maybe give people like you said, uh, the benefit of the doubt that they have matured and aged and moved on and gotten better and express contrition. And, yeah, as opposed to going out and uh, fucking. Uh, and what was the last I'll talk about Kevin Spacey? But he went out and uh, he did uh, all these videos in his Frank Underwood char- and Underwood character from Ga- Cows of Cards yeah. and. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Talking about how he's been wronged and slighted, and we haven't seen the last of him, and it's like, dude, you you got to dial it back a little bit, man. Pre- at least pretend you're upset about it. At least yeah. pretend at, at you least give a shit, you know. And that's why, like, we haven't seen any new specials out of Louis C.K. either, because I mean, that guy's just trying to slowly creep back into public life by like doing one-off, uh, not comeback, but at least um, bad choice of words there. But um, at least uh, sort of like one-off sets at like the comedy store or like uh, what's the uh, the comedy place in the, the 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 underground club that it was in the intro of the Louis show in New York. It's, it's got a Martha's. Un- I'm, I'm a terrible. I know, I know which one you're but, talking about. Yeah, he's just like every once in a while you'll see on like the the gossip rags that he, and the rumor mills that he's like showing up and working out new material, and it's like no, dude, you don't get to do that until you actually come out. And again, terrible choice of words until you emerge and then own up to what it is that you did and express some kind of contrition for it and apologize to the people you've hurt. You don't get to fucking be a part of public life again. Nobody's going to buy tickets for your shows. Nobody's going to bid for your special. Nobody's going to because you've never acknowledged what you did. And it's the same with Kevin Spacey. He's just trying to be defiant about it. 
Um, the fact that he was predatory and in some cases um, a predatory pedophile, if you believe the rumors, which I, I kind of do because the people making the allegations are more credible than Kevin Spacey, who's completely gone <laughs> off the rails. Kind of like this conversation once again because Kevin Spacey never played Batman. But nonetheless, this is, you know, this is the way that the brain works when you uh, kind of get off on these topics. This is you what editing is out for. To strange directions. Yeah, or, norm, normally editing. This is what editing is for. But this is, again, like if you're watching, this is the warts and all shit that we do every week that sometimes we look back at and go, yeah, let's just trim out that entire section where we talked about, you know, window cleaners for a half an hour because it wasn't germane to the topic. But back to uh, the Snyder Cut now. Like I said, I'm able to separate Joss Whedon from the... the Snyder Cut. ...original thing, but uh, a lot of of interference went on in the Justice League movie that turned it from what Zack Snyder wanted into uh, what Joss Whedon thought was necessary. And unfortunately... Yeah. Uh, Joss Whedon's poisonous attitude and the way he handled shit just didn't translate very well to uh, it didn't translate very well to to Zack's vision, and so uh, right. Uh, well, because Zach did, he, he did do some reshoots. He pulled those cats back in and, and, and shot some new material, and there was quite a bit of that in there. But he still um, was largely working with stuff that was shot by somebody else. And it's kind of like coming in when somebody has completely uh, screwed something up and saying, look, I know this is kind of rubble in a way, and it wasn't popular, and nobody liked it, but maybe if you can just salvage some scraps from this and cut it apart and try and reassemble it in a new way that it's going to be better. So he kind of had a losing... Uh, task in front of him there's there's no real way he could have necessarily i think you know he, he probably did the best he could under the circumstances but and just having to work a lot with of so much motion. legacy material yeah and that yeah. just meant a lot of slow motion that movie could have easily been cut down by about half an hour if they'd have just he's got this this overly masturbatory fantastic just desire to put everything in slow motion it's some yeah. kind of weird fetish with him i don't know but uh we saw that in 300, too, which was a, yeah. one of the better movies of that era. I loved that movie. I thought it was fantastic, but there was a whole lot of... That kind of shit going on. And, you know, it was... <laughs> it did get to be a bit much after a while. True, but... And that's that's a gag that only works if we're actually doing video, so... Right, you couldn't see that in the I guess, audio. I suppose that's, that's a blessing of this particular medium that we're engaged in right now. But the thing is, is with the Snyder Cut, yes, there were some problems with it. Uh, it, it, it seemed to be overly long. It seemed to be like they were trying too hard to correct too many things. And it's kind of like what we talked about yeah. with Star Wars. Uh, yes. Between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. With all the, the lashing back that uh, the fan community and everyone at large had about Last Jedi, it seemed like a daunting uphill task for J.J. Abrams to kind of retcon what he could retcon and fix what he could yeah. fix in this short two-and-a-half-hour mark. But And I think that... Uh, we had the same kind of uh, problem with Zack Snyder trying to fix and salvage what he could from his original vision into what Joss Whedon had turned it into. And by the time that we got uh, the ability to do this, the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut fandom outpouring, uh, Warner Brothers just decided to throw money at it. Uh, Zack decided to fix it, but they're not supporting it. Warner Brothers is not... They're not. Everyone's like, "Oh, you should restore the Snyder Cut and make the Snyder Cut the uh, back into canon." And they're not doing it. They don't care enough. This was just basically to. I don't want to say shut up the fans because that seems real crass. But placate but, them a little bit. Yeah. Shut up! Just shut up! Shut up! 
here you got what you wanted, and if it's not, you know, <clears throat> at this point, if it's not what you were hoping for, then we can't really do anything else for you. Right, exactly that. And and so, uh, as far as what I feel about the Snyder Cut, I liked it for what it was. I really enjoyed the fact that they uh, expanded on Cyborg's character a bunch. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. Ray Fisher being in the news, being real uh, negative and, and upset about his interactions with... Uh, uh, with Joss Whedon, uh, Joss Whedon, and, and, and it could poison. have been a bone they threw him on that front. Hello, Arthur. But he probably welcome, deserved it. Welcome to the podcast, Arthur. Kelly, good to see you. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like I said, he did the best he could with what he had, and of course, I yeah. back to the back to Ben Affleck. Uh, I agree completely. Ben Affleck was able to handle both sides of the character because he, we don't get to see him be super billionaire, rich playboy uh, Bruce Wayne because that's not really where he's at in his timeline. We did get to mm-hmm. see the, the I think it was Joss Whedon to put those little clips together where he's like, what's your superpower? Yeah. I'm rich. I mean, and yeah, yeah okay, so that's, that seems very Whedon-ish. Um, but, I mean, that's also kind of what Tony Stark has going on in a whole different universe. Right. But the difference is, is they were able to humanize Tony Stark in a way over the course of uh, yes. 23 movies, whereas we've only had uh, our Batman actors be able to stay Batman for two and three movies at a time, if that. Uh, yeah. Which is why I say back in the back to the the idea of Kevin Conroy being one of the the finer examples of Batman. Uh, it's He's been be- Batman for almost 30 years. Right. Same thing with uh, Mark Hamill playing the Joker. Uh, which yeah. we can discuss uh, uh, during the next segment here, uh, since we're kind of tangenting off all over the place. But uh, what do you guys think in in the in the chat room? Anyone who's watching right now, uh, wh- you don't have to talk about Batman. You could talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you've ever had a question to ask us, you can ask us. If you ever wanted to, you know, throw your little bit of fandom out there, we'd like to address that for you too. But. Uh, yeah. what, what we can also do is, uh, since it is, we're going to go, we'll go back to the Joker here in a minute, but I kind of want to talk about Superman a little bit because today being International Superman Day. So, yeah. for those of you just joining in, and I realize I should have done this like 15 minutes ago, uh, welcome. Uh, this is, of course, the live broadcast of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast live uh, Facebook event. Uh, I'm Saint, that's Jim. We're, we're kind of just glossing over that part again but uh uh we were talking about the best batman uh now let's talk about oh hell oh my god uh uh, matt loria says so as a shareholder here's what i learned wb is is very money-making focused not story or fan service case Mm. in point babylon 5 and john michael straczynski uh jms cannot make a new babylon 5 content except for a movie as WB will not give him back his source material. And okay. they, they, do, I have they a hold a hard time. They have a very tight rein on that shit. Yeah. I have a hard time, and I'm, this is a little, a tales out of school, but I have a little bit of a hard time feeling real bad for J. Michael Straczynski because uh, way back in the day when I was first sort of like getting my feet wet with screenwriting, I had a chance encounter. My doctor in um, Minneapolis when I lived there was a really cool guy. His name was Dr. Jonathan Tallman, and you can look him up. He's fantastic. He was a really good doctor. But we were making small talk at one of my examinations once, and he's like, what have you been up to? So I told him, well, I you know, did really well in the screenwriting contest, and I'm starting to get some traction from it. And he said, oh, I should really introduce you to my brother-in-law. And I said, oh, really? Who's that? He said, well, my sister's Patricia Tallman, who is an actress on Babylon 5, and she is the partner of 
J. Michael Straczynski. Ah. And I thought, holy shit, this is the this is this is a thing that, that doesn't really happen to people. I, I actually the guy who wrote and directed the first Thor movie, the Babylon Five guy, that's he's a big deal. So he gave me his he checked back and gave me his email address. And I wrote the guy, and he was an absolute fucking bag of dicks to me. So, oh, no. I mean, and I was super like hat in hand and I was like, hey, listen, I hate to interrupt you, your day. I know you're a busy guy and an important guy, but um, your uh, sister's uh, or, or your, your girlfriend's brother, I think, I don't know if they're married now that I think about it, but he said your, your partner's uh, brother sent me your email address and he said that because I'm, I'm embarking on a screenwriting career and he said maybe we could connect. And, the, and he wrote back and he said something like, if I had time to talk to everybody who wrote me about screenwriting, I would never have time to do anything else. Please tell your doctor to lose my email address. Wow. And I understand that, like, you know, there's, there was a nice way to say that. Hey, I appreciate you reaching out. I'm super busy. I don't know if I can help you, but I appreciate, you know, good luck in your career. That would have been a much easier way to say it, but he was an absolute festering asshole to me. So I have a really hard time with his work a little bit, but I mean... You know, that was a long time ago, and maybe he's mulled out since then. I'm not really sure, but every, every time his name comes up in conversation, I just sort of blanch a little bit because I had a personal interaction with him that was less than satisfactory. The only J. Michael Shazinski material that uh, uh, I really enjoyed was uh, Jason the Wheel Warriors. <laughs> Do you remember that? The old hmm. cartoon from the 80s? No, I don't. Uh, it was like these modular little toys and they got them hero modular vehicles and the the organic looking vehicle their monster mind vehicles and I don't know I'll have to show you a picture of it later it's been pretty funny but uh, that yeah. was or- originally J. Michael Straczynski as well so um, and here we are off topic again that's fantastic I love it <laughs> well no not really because uh, Matt brought it up but that's true um yeah, but you know, back to his point though about uh, Warner Brothers and, and the DCU being kind of DCEU being kind of um, money making more so than story. You know, and I kind of like if you, it's impossible not to contrast them to Marvel. You have to because they're just the, the two biggest players I'm, of the game. It's it's Nike and Reebok, it's Coke and Pepsi. They're, they're right. Just, they're neck and neck all the time. And there's a reason I think why, especially the publishing arm of DC is in trouble. There were rumors that um, um, the Walking Dead guy, Robert Kirkman, Kirkman. Mm-hmm. I always forget his name. Um, is is talking about buying DC lock, stock, and barrel, and he can afford you know, it. If you get to a point where he, can, yeah, he can. You know, I mean, he he definitely can. He's been very successful. But if, if you've gotten to the point where you're talking about buying this entire universe and all of this legacy content comes down to like one guy who might write a check, you know, you're kind of in trouble. I think <laughs> what Matt is talking about is kind of has something to do with that because Marvel, certain things aside, like the the Netflix universe with uh, uh, Iron Fist and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and and Daredevil. And Punisher, um, and also, of course, the Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, those were all kind of like deep-sixed as being non-canon, which was a shitty thing to do after as much you know time and effort as they put into them, and especially like early on when, when the, the hashtag was always, it's all connected. They did a pretty good job was. kind of linking those things together. It was. But even more so, like I think one of the reasons why sort of DC suffers a little bit is because they have separate movie and TV universes. Um, we've got Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller both as the Flash. I think that confuses people. You know, I, I, they're both great. Uh, they both have their merits. Um, but if if you're watching an MCU show, like if you're watching Agents of Shield, and Lady Sif showed up, it was going to be the same actress who played her in the movies. And there was uh, at the end of the first season of Agents of Shield, I think there was a scene with Maria Hill and Nick Fury. 
and it was Colby Smulders and, and Sam Jackson showing up on so they they Marvel has done a much better job of integrating the universes and DC keeps them very separate and I think it's it's not it was not a good move on their part. It would have been you know it would have been a cynical thing to say oh well this is what Marvel's doing so we have to do it too to maybe integrate them but it worked right. out much better for them. Uh, so I think that hurts them a little bit. Uh, yeah, and I agree. And, and I think that they're kind of realizing that now, too. But mm-hmm. uh, WB has just a kind of a different overall attitude towards their properties as as opposed to what Marvel and Disney are doing. So uh, they're still trying to find themselves. But uh, So let's kind of flip the script up here a little bit. What does he say? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is no longer canon. No, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep, is yeah. no longer canon. Which uh, brings to mind how much of Peggy Carter is canon at this point, too. Because, of course, Steve Rogers went back in time and fucked with the timeline. And that gets fuzzy. It gets real fuzzy. Anytime you got time travel, there's no way to do it without introducing paradoxes into your story. And, and it just it's kind of... Uh, it's really up to you how you deal with those. I mean, if you have... Banner Hulk's kind of hand wave it off by saying, "Yeah, nothing you do here can actually affect the future." Well, then what the hell is the point of actually doing any of it? So right. it just it all becomes very messy. Any time travel movie you've ever seen, from Back to the Future to Pi to uh, um, whatever else, uh, it is, there's there's going to be inconsistencies because even though according to Einsteinian theory, time travel is theoretically possible, there are just so many variables. And and if you buy into quantum theory, which we talked about in the alternative universes episode, again, unforgivable tangents, but there's just, um, there's just so much that you have to take into consideration uh, from a real world, actual physics really apply kind of standpoint that it's probably best left to the realm of entertainment. You want to know what's stupid? What if time travel was possible, but space travel was not? So you go back in time, hmm. and then all of a sudden you're back where the Earth was, or you, you'd, you'd be in space. You'd be in yeah. space. Mm-hmm. You'd, be lost. you'd have to exactly calculate that, because if you tried to transport yourself in time, and the Earth had rotated in the meantime, you, you would pop into empty space, and you'd suffocate and die, and that would be the end of you. So, you know, maybe, these are maybe, all things you have to think about. I personally, I actually have a time machine. Time I, own, I own a time machine. It's this chair I'm sitting in. Uh, but the problem is it can only advance uh, one minute for every one minute of real time into the future. It only goes in one direction in real time. So it's it's not very practical. It doesn't really do anything that is valuable. But it's still a time machine if you really want to apply the barest actual definition of what a time machine can be. It is. Does that mean my car is a time machine? I don't even need a DeLorean yeah. for that. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, speaking of DeLoreans, uh, Paul Hogg has got a DeLorean. He brought it out of storage recently. It looks amazing. Yep. Yeah, I've been watching his feed. It's uh, he, he said he had a little bit of a leak. He's got some fluid leaks going on, but he he got under there and did some uh, some mojo, some magic, and got that thing back up and running again. And so off we go. Jennifer Haskins says this is why complete mastery of temporal mechanics is the ultimate superpower. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And not at all. That might be where uh, Rick Sanchez gets his power from. He's just so smart that he's able to uh, figure all that shit out. And you do okay, it with so portals. Think with portals. If we get into Rick and Morty, I don't want to, I don't want to get into Rick and Morty because then that'll send me off on another tangent about how a uh, famous no. creator was a dick to me. Yeah. Because uh, of <laughs> Dan, Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon, yeah. I used I used to know Dan Harmon a long time ago. He's originally from Milwaukee, and we had less than satisfactory interactions on that level as well. So I don't want to get into that either. But you know, maybe it's me. the The common thread, the bottom denominator in all of these interactions is me. So maybe I just bring out the worst in famous creators. I don't know. 
you're but such a dick. Dan Harmon was well. Dan Harmon was a dick to me before he was famous. I mean, it was. It, so, now you sound hip, now you sound like it. a hipster Karen. You know, he was yeah. a dick to me before <laughs> he was famous. So. <laughs> he was a dick to me before he even had the standing to be a dick to me. Right, but yeah, but uh, I'll tell that story some other time. So let's talk about Superman now. We've had yeah. uh, a few Supermen in our time, and and I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Trying real hard to remember who all of them were. I did not prepare for Superman, but it seems like we need to discuss it. We have, Should, of yeah. course, Christopher Reeves. Um, we had George Reeves back in the day. No relation. No, George uh, Reeves and Christopher Reeves. There's no S on Reeves with Christopher Reeves. So right. a lot of people got confused. But yeah, Christopher Reeves, no relation to the serial Superman, which was George Reeves. Right. But as with Batman, we're not going to really get into the serial versions. Um, no. So we'll start in the 80s. Christopher Reeves, we had... Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, dude from Lois and Clark. Uh, turned, Dean Kane. Dean Kane. He turned into a severe right wing douchebag. He really did. He and Scott Bayo go camping and talk about how much they hate minorities. So that's. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, which which is sad because I actually kind of liked Dean Kane. He was pretty. Yeah. That show was watchable. It was pretty decent. I definitely checked it out back in the day, and I do remember enjoying his portrayal. Yeah. And then now we have uh, our fan favorite. Uh, the Witcher, the 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 new Highlander, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Oh my yeah. God! Uh, but we Jock- skipped Brandon Ruth also. Oh, that's right. We forgot Brandon Ruth. Yeah, because uh, Brandon Ruth is, is Ruth Ruth whatever. I, I've only ever seen it printed. I've never. He's, he's kind of Ralph. a minor celebrity, so I've never seen Ruth. I think uh, Ralph. Well, I'll just say Ralph. Ralph. We'll just Ralph. decide on that. Um, but Brandon Ralph, he he was uh, he only did it. I think he was he only suited up once, if I remember right. Yeah, for um, Superman Returns, but they did bring him back as yep. Superman for. Uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover That's with right. uh, the CW uh, Arrowverse shows. So, and and they made him kind of the Kingdom Come uh, Superman. And then yeah. uh, we okay, so we forgot uh, poor Brandon, like everyone else did. Well, so did most of everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and then we have uh, Henry Cavill, who is oh my god, that guy. I love Henry Cavill. Might have a slight man really... crush on the guy. I mean, it's hard not to because he's first of all beautiful. He's a physical specimen. Like you, you know, he he looks the part of Superman more more so than I think anybody who's ever suited up. Nothing against Christopher Reeve. I love that guy. He's probably my favorite Superman, um, just because his he nailed the duality of the character between Clark Kent and Superman he much in the same way that did. like any any Batman character hasn't. Um, but still, he looked great in the suit. He looked great with his dorky hair and horn rims too. So he was great. Um, but I think Henry Cavill. Is the closest thing because the guy's just ripped to the nostrils. First of all, uh, his his workout regimen is, is just insane, and he, he he earns every ripple in that suit. Um, but he also <laughs> has this square jaw, and he's got the, he's just a the classic a, the Superman look. He's who you want in that suit. He just looks fantastic, and he he does a really great job with again both sides of that character. Josh so, says I mean, Henry Cavill is the pouty Superman. No thanks. <laughs> well, you know, there is a bit this of is why that, we talk yeah. about stuff like this. It's that grim dark shit. And I don't remember the name of the guy. There's another guy. I, I I can see him in my head, but I don't know his name. And I think he played Superman in some of the uh, um, TV iterations. He yeah, might have been we, in you Supergirl. Have, you have uh, Tom Welling. Uh, Matt Lurie pointed out Tom Welling uh, from Smallville. Yeah. But I kind of don't. The one I'm I don't. Of. No, I know who you're talking about. Tyler Hoechlin. Yes, uh, the, uh, he's the one. Yeah, he's great. We'll get to him in a second. But Tom Welling. Here's why I don't count Tom Welling. Just like we have to count both sides of Batman, Bruce Wayne and Batman, respectively. The same reason we didn't talk about Ian Glenn is Batman, because mm-hmm. we've only seen his portrayal of Bruce Wayne. 
But with Tom Welling, we've only seen Clark. Now, we've seen heroic aspects of Clark, but we haven't seen his Superman Clark. You know what I mean? We got a a little taste of it during the crisis thing, but not much because he'd given up his powers. So. Mm-hmm. I remember reading about the, the 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 showrunner of that show, or maybe some, somebody who was who was overseeing the show, not the showrunner, I think, because that person is responsible for kind of the creative direction in a lot of ways. But somebody involved with that show said about Smallville, I never want to see him in the suit, and I never want to see him fly, because they wanted to focus more on the Clark Kent aspect, and they wanted to kind of like you know, Superman obviously isn't human; he's human presenting. Um, he appears human, but he isn't human. Let's he's Kryptonian, but. They they did say they wanted to kind of like humanize the character and make and, and focus more on on the Clark Kent aspect of it. So they, they, we never want to see him in the tights. We never want to see him doing the flights. So that I think I didn't watch a lot of Smallville. I saw a couple episodes here and there because obviously I'm a nerd and I love superhero shit. But that show always kind of seemed to me to suffer from the same problem that a lot of the Netflix uh, Marvel stuff did. Just if you're watching a superhero show, you want to see some you superhero, see superhero shit. Superhero shit, yeah. You know, if you, if you wanted to get into like personal drama, you could watch any of a number of a thousand other shows. Especially on the uh, CW. Every other show has, yeah, character interactions and like heavy moments. If you want, if you're watching a superhero show, you kind of want to see some superhero shit, and that's kind We're, of like again. That's where the CW unfor- got shit right. I think. unforgivable tangent, but that's also why I I hate watch the Umbrella Academy, which I've been over before, because. You've got all of these superheroes. You've got a family of superheroes with these extraordinary abilities, and they stand around wringing their hands, going, "Oh, how are we going to get out of this problem?" And almost never actually use their powers for moral reasons. For what? <laughs> and I, I suppose that's kind of central to their characters because they were raised by this megalomaniac psychopath who, you know, made them resent their powers. So I suppose that makes sense. But if you're going to write a series and create a series about superpowered individuals, you kind of want to actually see them, you know, get their shit out once in a while and do some superheroic shit. Otherwise, what's the fucking point? And Josh points out, Grim and Dark is cool. Pouty Superman is neither dark nor grim. Uh, Kelly uh, Kelly Moe talks about, uh, I watched a lot of, I believe she's talking about Smallville, and she really liked it. And that's cool. We're not here to shit on things people like. We're no. just kind of dissecting the main characters. Now, I watched a little yeah. bit of Smallville, not much, like an episode here or there. The thing that got me the most, and the thing I remember getting nerd outraged about, and this is kind of tangential, but... Uh, I went to see when Brandon Routh's Superman movie came out. Uh, we were in the theater, and it was a trailer for it. it had come up before uh, another one of the movies we were watching at the time. And uh, the trailer for it came up, and one of the first things that they showed was the Kent farm with the mailbox that said Kent on it and all that. And these uh, teen girls sitting next to us were like, Oh my God, it's the Smallville movie! Yay! And I just mm. I, I wanted to uh, strangle some people. I didn't. I, be, I behaved myself. No. I didn't even say anything out loud, but my, I gripped my teeth real hard. <laughs> so, I don't got anything personally about Smallville uh, negative to say about it. I really enjoyed Tom Welling as an actor. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what was the name of the dude that played Luthor in that? Because he was really... The, oh, Michael Rosenbaum. Yes, Also, okay. also yeah, very, no. very good. And, and a super cool human to boot. Uh, he does a lot of podcasting now, which is... He does a really good job of that, but... Podcasters are garbage. Who, who likes podcasters? Nobody likes podcasters. But and then we got to talk about uh, Tyler Hodgson. Tyler Hodgson was yeah. uh, who they brought in for the CW shows, and everyone just thought because of it's Supergirl, they're just going to pepper in a little bit of Clark Kent here and there to to kind of tie anchor it together. Yeah, anchor it in. Yeah. And 
he seemed okay. Yeah, he seems like good. He's good natured in the in the Christopher Reeve kind of way. Uh, Josh says, as a fellow podcaster, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but yeah, Ty- nobody loves podcasters. Tyler Hodgson came in and he did he did the the joviality of your Christopher Reeve kind of Superman. He had the physicality sort of to do the the Superman Superman, and he did he treated it kind of lighthearted like all the CW shows do. And uh, <laughs> Matt Luria says, hi, Mom. Um, but once they spun it off, and once I heard that they were spinning it off into its own show, I was like, okay, so we got to see what this, gonna, what this does. And having yeah. watched uh, some of the... I've watched like four or five episodes of the Superman and Lois show, and he's fantastic. He's yeah. got the right amount of gravitas for it. Gravitas. 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 Uh, he's got the right amount of levity. Um, and, of course, they changed the character enough to where he has, like, his two super sons now. So uh, yep. he's able to handle a bit more responsibility on screen. And he really has to divide his time between what he does as Superman and what he does as Clark Kent with his family and all that. So I really enjoy Tyler Hodgson. I'm looking forward to seeing more of what he can do. Now, that being said, yeah, I think now we're going back to Brandon Routh. I think now that we've had such a big stink with the Snyder Cut and with Joss mm-hmm. Whedon, there's going to be a less of a focus on interconnecting all these movies, I think, which is absolutely what I've been saying DC should do from day one. They should try, stop trying to be Marvel Comics. They should yeah. start trying to be their own thing. So if they have less interconnectivity between their movies, let Wonder Woman go off and do Wonder Woman shit. Let Superman yeah. go off and do Superman shit. Every now and again, team them up. They can do a team up movie, but it doesn't have to be soul earth shattering bullshit. You know what I mean? They got Well, let- I think the, the, the DC thing. They sort of like they they looked at Marvel and looked at how successful Marvel was with building this this universe. And they sort of cheated a little bit. Because if you want to think about how the Avengers movie worked, why the anticipation of it was so high, and why um, everybody um, wanted to go and see the movie so bad, is because they introduced every character. I mean, I know the, the Hulk stuff with uh, with Eric Bana and with uh, Ed Norton wasn't exactly... It's sort of tied in a little bit, but not really. They sort of disavow that. But they did have a tag with um, Sam Jackson at the end of the Ed Norton movie. But then they didn't bring Ed Norton back as the Hulk. So it's kind of like not quite MCU, but it also kind of is. And, like and, the, the and then they brought, they brought Thunderbolt Ross out of the Hulk movies and right. brought him into the Iron Man movies. And then they made him Secretary yeah. of State. So. But the reason why I think the DC movies didn't work as well as the Marvel movies is because you, leading up to the Avengers, they introduced really all the characters. I mean, Hawkeye and Black Widow haven't gotten their... I mean, Hawkeye's getting a series and Black Widow's getting their movie this year. But they hadn't had movies of their own yet. But they had showed up in the, in the movies of the other characters. We had a Thor movie. We had a couple of Iron Man movies. We had Captain America and we had the Hulk. So bringing them all together had built that anticipation. I think DC cheated a little bit because they did have Man of Steel. They did have... Uh, Affleck and his Batman, and they did have Wonder Woman, but they started introducing all these other characters. Like I think Aquaman made his debut in, in uh, uh, Justice League, if I'm not wrong, and I might uh, be, I, I believe, probably am. I believe so. But they hadn't really introduced these characters. They just thought, okay, we gotta we gotta compete with Marvel. We gotta really quick throw this movie together where we have all of our heroes together. We gotta do it because our version of the Avengers is the Justice League, so we have to do this. But they didn't. They, they cheated. They they took shortcuts and they didn't introduce the characters. Um, they didn't play the long you know, game. In a meaningful right, in a meaningful way, before they they really try to just jam them all together and expect that everybody would know who they were. Because I mean, 
if you look at how much money the Marvel movies make, and they make fucking shit tons of money. They make insane amounts of money. Right. Um, but comics are faltering right now. And part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, print is in many ways kind of just a dying medium, and it's really sad, but it's true. And I, I, I don't mean... There are still... There are always going to be hardcore comic books collectors, but I think print is has fallen out of favor. If, if, if everybody that went to go see an MCU movie actually also bought the comic books there'd be no problem at all. But you've got this gigantic entertainment universe that's based on all these characters and all these properties that is immensely successful, and it's based on on these these comics that, you know, are, are they're popular, obviously. Many, many people know who these characters are and love these characters, but they're not... Um, they don't interact with them The source much. material is yeah. not... Yeah. So you kind of run into that also with with the movies you you, you if you're going to be doing a movie that introduces all these characters you can't just count on the fact that your audience already knows who the fuck they are so a lot of people didn't know who cyborg was aquaman people remember him from like the the, the super friends cartoon where he had the scaly shorts and the blonde hair so yeah. you kind of have to, to to you can't cheat you can't rush it you got to give the the recipe time to develop and so the flavors can commingle properly once they're all put into the same soup agreed uh, Kelly says Superman showed up at the end of Shazam. I hope they make a movie with them together. Uh, yeah, interesting bit of trivia about that. I don't know if anyone knew that. That wasn't Henry Cavill. No. What the hell are you doing over there? You eating, eating. a pork chop? No, it's an Italian sausage. You son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but Superman did show up at the end of uh, Shazam, but they didn't show his face because they couldn't get Henry Cavill back. I think he was. Still had the mustache and everything. He was still doing all that shit <laughs> with uh, with uh, Mission Impossible. So he was not able to be present and available for that. So uh, this is what you get with a live podcast, too. You get to watch Jim eat sausage. Mm-hmm. Shoving tubular meats into his mouth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> usually that kind of stuff is not on video, but... Right. Well, I mean, that you're aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Luria says a lot of the CW stuff is moving to HBO Max. We talked about that a little bit uh, with uh, the Painkiller uh, sequel that's not happening now. Uh, when we talked about that in the New York News Nexus, uh, we talked about uh, how they have the opportunity to bring these CW shows over as new shows and spinoff shows and everything else. But really, I think what they're doing is they're bringing the reruns over there and they're leaving a lot of this stuff on the table um, because... The, uh, Matt mentioned specifically Green Lantern Corps. They're doing a Green Lantern Corps television show, um, yeah. but they're not bringing over like John Diggle from the Arrowverse. Who, uh, spoiler, if you're not into that, they gave him a Green Lantern ring at the end of the Arrow show. Uh, they're doing Gotham City PD, uh, which is not a tie into any of the Batman type properties on the CW, but more rather a tie into uh, Matt Reeves' uh, The Batman film coming out with Robert Pattinson. Uh, and they are developing a Batgirl series for uh, uh, the HBO Max as well, which I'm looking forward to. Like I said, here's the thing. Uh, we get all of these different versions, uh, and that's fine. DC is more than welcome to do that. They don't have the success that Marvel has, or the, the or for, quite frankly, I don't think they have the fucking pocketbook that Marvel has. to. No, keep, they don't have the expectation either. Right, to keep all of your... Uh, uh, to keep all of your uh, actors the same, like they did with their TV shows. They were able to get their Anthony Mackie back. They are able to get their Elizabeth Olsen and Paul yeah. Bettany back. They are able to get Sebastian. They are able to get uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson and all these other fantastic actors to reprise their roles because they've got the pocket to do it. 
They're not. They got trying. that Disney money. Mm-hmm. And and as as crass and as hard as it is to talk about Disney money, it's absolutely true because you throw enough money at something, and you're able to quality control like nobody's business. Unfortunately, it didn't work with the Snyder Cut, as we discussed, because they threw a lot of money at something that was already uh, pre-fucked up from the beginning, so yeah, uh, that didn't help. But the fact of the matter is, is HBO Max's stuff is all potentially going to be its own little universe. They're, they're uh-huh. not even focusing on... John Diggle's supposed to be, uh, according to uh, Arrowverse Easter Eggs and everything else that they did, he's supposed to be... Uh, the CW Universe's version of Jon Stewart, Green Lantern. Yep. And uh, uh, the Green Lantern that they've decided to focus on in the HBO Max series is Guy Gardner, which yeah. uh, they've already cast. I forget the dude's name, but he looks good for the part, and if he's got that snark, he's ready to go. So um, There's a big difference between, unfortunately... Uh, what DC's doing with its HBO Max and its CW properties. They, they, they refuse to kind of interconnect them. They treat it more like a multiverse than Marvel does. Marvel stuff is they're really trying to go now for that everything's connected role. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, now that Disney's brought the TV arm back into the Marvel Universe and they're, they have much more direct control over it instead of like portioning it out to outside creators, they have a much better opportunity to, to keep everything integrated. And they're, they're definitely picking up that ball and running with it hard. So now we never did discuss the, the final tally. Now, Jim, I've got my opinion. Uh, of course, I feel like it's Kevin Conroy for Batman, but that's a voice actor. We're not really doing voice actors. So if I was going to have to pick a live-action Batman, yeah, it is kind of a, 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 a charged statement to say that I think Ben Affleck was the bomb as Batman, yo, but uh, <laughs> I thought he I thought he did a great job. He handled both aspects of it in a very realistic type of way. He did For the me, best he could with the source material he was given. That is true. I mean, it, it really was. He was a great Batman saddled by kind of shitty material. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think it's a dead heat. I think Affleck comes out on top in terms of just looking the part and being the best version of Batman for the Batman you want. But I will always, always have a soft spot in my heart for the Batman we've talked about the least, and that's Adam West. I mean, he really was, apart from the serials, which we don't count, he was the first guy to really put on the suit and kind of make that character his own. And, and, um, you know, people kind of picked on him for looking a little doughy in the spandex because it was a new fabric at the time. Because he was... But, yeah, he was. But, I mean, the the other thing that we didn't really talk about that we haven't touched on at all, because the, the modern version of Batman is very grimdark and very punchy, but even as silly as the 60s series was, with the, Robin, hand me the bat-repellent shark spray, and all the goofy, campy, right. biff-pals-in kind of stuff, I think the Adam West version of Batman is the only Batman that we've seen to date that has not just a balance between the, the, the Bruce Wayne and Batman character, but he also was shown to be much more of a detective. And that's the thing. People forget that that Bruce Wayne's main superpower is, because he's his just brain. a guy in a suit, but yeah. he's got a brilliant tactical brain, and he's referred to as the Dark Knight Detective because the man can put things together in a way that makes sense. And so I think seeing that aspect of that character... Uh, come to life on the screen at that time there were certainly fights there were Biff Palazam kind of fights but but um, 
he definitely did a lot, and it was kind of convoluted and kind of silly, and a lot of like, you know, it made leaps of logic that that made sense for the script, but that you would never put together in real life. But they at least made an attempt. They, they made a stab at, at, at representing the aspect of the detective part of the Batman character that I don't think anybody's ever even come close to touching since. As silly as it was, that was there. It was a part of that character, and I have to give him respect for that. All right. So there you have it. The Fuel Your Fandom podcast's version of uh, Who the Best Batman is. Affleck for me and uh, Adam West for uh, for Jim. So you guys can, of course, leave yep. your comments in, in the comments here. I'm really enjoying being able to interact with you guys as you listen and we get to see what your choices and comments are. It's really kind of a fun new thing. We might have to do a lot more of these, I think. But, I think uh, so. All right, so let's skip over to uh, Superman now. We've, we've got Reeves. we got... Welling, we've got well, kind of Welling, we got Hochlin, we've got Routh, we got uh, Henry Cavill. Cavill. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Tyler Hochlin. As much as I love Henry Cavill, uh, we're getting to see a lot more of both sides of Superman in this new TV show. In his turn on the Arrowverse shows, we're getting to see more of it, and maybe that's just it for me. Is there's more exposure to this? Uh, him as a character and maybe that'll develop over time but i'm really enjoying what they're doing with uh tyler hochlin jim what about you i'm gonna uh if you say if you say dean kane i'm gonna kick you out of this conversation all right bye okay i love you bye-bye no, uh, definitely not Dean Cain. Although, at the time, before we knew what a conservative shitbag that guy was, um, I think he did an admirable job with what he was given. Uh, for me, i got to kind of do the same thing I just did. I, I sort of have to tie um, legacy Superman with, with sort of modern Superman. I think Cavill, um, despite the fact that, like, you know, what the folks in the comments have said is kind of a whiny Superman and the problematic representation of him as being somebody who is not afraid to kill and Man of Steel, <laughs> whether incidental or intentional, that was a, a, a betrayal of a character. To a degree, but I think Cavill probably is physically the best representation of Superman we've had. He's 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 he looks like Superman. He's the guy you want to see in the suit. But in terms of a character portrayal, um, I have to go with Christopher Reeve. Um, that guy is beloved for a reason. Um, he just looked great in the suit. His his Clark Kent was fantastic. Um, he was able to represent both sides of that character perfectly. And and you know I go back to the the tagline that they used to market that original movie on the poster. And, and the tagline was, Superman, you will believe a man can fly. And at the time, in the 80s, I was a kid, I watched that. It was absolutely magical, so I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for, for Christopher Reeve in that suit. Absolutely. Um, okay, so the cool thing about this live podcast, and I didn't even really think about it, we're not doing commercials this one, or breaks for commercials no. at this point. It's all just plow straight ahead and meander where we meander and... Yeah, just possible with interruptions it. with like mom walking in with some steak. You know, it just all uh, it all works out. I'm just kind of pissed you didn't bring me any. Uh, you should see this steak; it's beautiful. I hate Actually, you. I'm going to show it to you. Go to hell. Check it out. That's Aww. a thing of beauty right there. I'm going to. I can't even tip it because there's like a baked potato on there, and I don't want to dip butter all over the desk. So D- didn't you just wake up before we did this? Yeah. So this is your breakfast. Yeah, it's my breakfast. You're a dick. I think I got. And some... usually I'd make it myself, but we just decided to fire up the grill today. But I wasn't around for it, so. I think I got my own uh, leftovers from Panda Express from last night is when it's going to be when I'm eating. But well, See, that's the nice thing about a lot of food gets better in the fridge overnight, and a lot of Chinese food definitely does. But, uh, okay, so here's an interesting thing. Let's talk about uh, Joker actors. Now, we have far fewer pay- people in the Joker role uh, in live action. We've got, of course, uh, Cesar Romero, 
uh, from the 66 Batman series. We've got uh, Jack Nicholson uh, from 89 Batman. Uh, I think after that we have to skip all the way forward to uh, uh, Heath Ledger, who played him in Dark Knight. And then, Unless uh, you want to talk, toss Mark Hamill in in the interim, because he did do some work on the animated He did a lot of work. Mark Hamill's been synonymous with the Joker for as long as Kevin Conroy's been synonymous as Batman. So we sure definitely got to throw a nod out to him at that point. But uh, And then we've got uh, Jared Leto, for good or for bad. Uh, Jared Leto gets to, I guess, be a part of the conversation now. Obviously, by the way I talk about that, you're going to know right where I go with this. Uh, my, my feelings about Kevin Conroy are equally mirrored with my feelings with uh, Mark Hamill. He's synonymous as voice of the Joker for me. For a good reason. For a very good reason. And the thing is, uh, live action Joker, I've had a decent amount of experience with all of them at this point. Uh, Cesar yeah. Romero, of course, from the 66 Batman, was that super, super camp, just like the entire show was. He was more of a trickster. Yeah. He was more of a goofy uh, version of the character, which they've gone through. And, in fact, they did a comic series recently called Three Jokers, where they had three Jokers uh, that cover the different aspects of the Joker. The criminal, the gangster, uh, or the psychopath, the gangster, and the, the clown, basically. Yeah. And uh, that's very much what we got in. We got Cesar Romero was kind of the clown. We got Jack Nicholson as kind of the gangster. Uh, we got uh, Heath Ledger as the psychopath. Um, and then whatever in the hell we want to say Jared Leto was. We wound up with Jared Leto whether we wanted him or not. Yeah. It, I mean. <sighs> and look. Problematic. I, you know, I, problematic. Not... I'm, I, I will definitely bag on Leto's Joker until I'm blue in the face. But Jared Leto himself, I actually have a lot of respect for. I actually He's have a, a lovely relationship actor. with Jared Leto. He's a great actor. I don't understand um, why we got this Joker from a great actor. No, he's an Oscar-winning actor. If you saw Dallas Buyers Club, that guy absolutely earned that, that award for that. I mean, he was fantastic. He's an amazing actor. This is a guy who will physically transform himself for a role. Very famously, um, he's played... Um, Mark David Chapman, who was the murderer of John Lennon in a movie that I forget the name of, but he gained about 70 pounds for that role. I mean, he because Mark David Chapman was kind of a tubby guy. And you can see pictures of Jared Leto where he's completely just, he, he, he ate, drank milkshakes and ate, ate uh, cake for like six months and packed on like 80 pounds. Oh, that sounds and, like a dream right now. But then he also was the lead in The Machinist, and he ate an apple every day, and that was it. And he drops no, down to such a, a frightening... You're wrong. You're wrong. That's hmm? Christian Bale. Oh, Christian, you're right. Christian Bale oh, was right. the machinist, and I was going to mention I'm that. I'm getting because... my people screwed up. Uh, no, that's, that's absolutely okay. fine. It happens. But, yeah, Christian yeah, well, Bale I'm, did I'm, such I'm getting, an alarming... I'm getting, I'm getting them mixed up in my head. But um, still, Jer oh, Jared Leto dropped all that weight. That's right. Jared Leto dropped all that weight for Dallas Buyers Club, where he was very thin. He, was, he played a, an HIV patient, and, and he was not doing well, so he dropped all the weight for that role. Um, you're right. I'm thinking about Batman and Joker, and they're getting mixed up in my head. Um, 
But then he gained all that weight to play Mark David Chapman, you know, and then he um, bulked up uh, to play uh, something else. I, I think I don't. But I've seen different phases of that guy's physicality, but he's he's one of those people that, that is so method um, that he just he becomes the character. So he kind of became a psychopathic jokester on the set of of the movies where he played the Joker. Yeah, wasn't he sending and people you, like rats and shit as a gift? Yeah, and... apparently Margot Robbie got some shit in the mail that she really didn't want um, because <laughs> you know he thought, well, how would how would the Joker react to Harley Quinn? Um, so Leto's Joker, uh, as, as great an actor as he is, and, and uh, you know, as an aside also, I'm a big fan of, of 30 Seconds to Mars. Uh, his band is fantastic. He's the guy's ridiculously multi-talented, a beautiful human being, uh, super and, and, and rich and famous, and I hate him, but I also love everything he does. So good for him, but his Joker was, I don't think anybody would argue, the worst portrayal of Joker on film. Um, it just didn't work. Whatever they were going for did not work. I agree. Especially on the heels of Heath Ledger. Right. I mean, and that's a hard set of boots to fill Heath yeah. Ledger kind of and now when I remember when specifically when they announced that Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker I had the exact same thought process I'm like oh man Nicholson fucking killed it this is going to be a really hard thing that anyone to step into and we're talking Heath Ledger the guy from fucking Knight's Tale as the Joker the things I hate about you that Heath Ledger the, the pretty boy fuck right. there's no way uh, I mean, and I think I saw him in, like, uh, Undeclared as well. He was a character in uh, yeah. that Freaks and Geeks kind of, uh, not not a spinoff, but kind of a... Uh, spiritual successor. Spiritual successor to, to Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. But but uh, I'm like, oh my god, Heath Ledger? No way. And then, of course, Heath Ledger came on the scene and just fucking destroyed Demolished that role. that role and owned it. It became the definitive version of the Joker. Right, and I, th- and I think it always will be, so... This isn't yeah. even a question for me. I enjoyed Cesar Romero. The, the, the thing about Cesar Romero is he had a contract clause that he would not shave off his mustache because <laughs> back Famously. in the day, uh, super manly mustaches were the thing, and, and he absolutely refused to shave it off as part of the role. So if you look, you can see the mustache under all the white pancake makeup. Uh, yeah, which, they grease-painted right over that stash. And even in all of the toys and action figures that they've made since... They make they sure they that include in. that in they there. Honor you, it. you can you can see it in the character on the toys, and it's fantastic. I love it. And even like the comic portrayals of, of when they, they decide to, to put the Caesar Romero version of the Joker on the page, you can see very light cross hatching on the on the top lip because the guy just always had his mustache. So I mean, I'm not I'm not shitting on uh, on Romero at all. I'm not like that was how they that was how they removed mustaches back in the day. They just grease painted over them rather than like CGIing out the mustache <laughs> like they had to do with Henry Cavill. That's how far the DC was. And I argue, and I argue like, to say that it was more successful then. Yes, yes it was more Cavill. successful then to just grease paint over that stash than it was to try and CGI that shit off his top lip. It was a mission impossible. I agree. But, uh, the DCU has a, has a problematic history with mustaches and characters who won't shave them. Uh, apparently. But uh, the thing is, is, is we have to understand... Uh, oh, that's right. We did forget a Joker portrayal. Uh, Josh brings up Joaquin Phoenix. Um, oh yeah, Joaquin Phoenix was fantastic. I can't ugh. see, and I didn't want to like Joaquin Phoenix. You're absolutely right, Josh. Holy shit, I can't believe I almost forgot that. Uh, I wasn't getting all of the uh, the comments in the thread that I was in, but uh, uh, I don't want to sell Joaquin Phoenix short. Holy shit, uh, Joaquin Phoenix did an amazing job. Uh, I kind of got to treat that separately, though. Um, yeah. 
because it's like a Joker without a Batman. And, and I think that the characters really need to feed off of each other to kind of adapt and, and be the person or the character that we need them to be. And so, that's come up thematically several times in the comics, especially in, I think, Batman Year One. Some of the Frank Miller stuff uh, where, where the Joker featured very prominently. Um, the, the Joker, because he, he's, he's the guy who's willing to say what, what a lot of people uh, shouldn't be thinking... He's he's in the in the book. He's all like, "Oh come on, bats! You can never kill me. We're yin and yang. We're the two sides of the same coin. We, we're going to do this dance until one of us absolutely falls off the face of the earth. And then, what would the purpose of the other one have been?" Right. And there's this yeah, you know, this it's this weird parasitic love that they both have yeah. for each other, and they've touched on it. The in symbiotic uh, dynamic. A lot of the comics, and and it's it's like severely damaging psychologically to Bruce Wayne and who he is, and yeah. Because he can't kill anybody, he he refuses to kill. But he he also understands I'm going to lock you up in Arkham, and you're going to find a way to get out. And I'm going to have to deal with you again in, in in six months, a year, two years, however long it takes for you to to come up with some diabolical scheme to bust out of the asylum. Uh, but I can't I can't kill you. I can't just all and it weighs so heavily on me. There's it, no like, me you without out, you. you. Right, but you kill a bunch of people every time you get out, and I have all those deaths on my conscience because I can't bring myself to kill you. But it's that sort of trolley experiment. You know, do I kill one person to save five? Who's really the, the hero in that instance? Right. I have to believe that if I just keep on putting you away, either you're A, going to reform, or B, they're going to find a fucking way to hang on to you for once, and maybe more people won't die. But every person you kill that I didn't save because I didn't kill you before you could kill them That's is somebody me. I feel like I killed myself. Yeah. yeah. It, it it gets into really deep psychological like choice theory and and it's uh it's a great dynamic it's a, it's a piece of those those two characters interactions that will, I hope never goes away. And uh, Josh said that he didn't want he's not he agrees that uh, we have to treat each uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker separately. He just didn't want us to miss out on that. I appreciate that. Thank you because yeah, thank I, you for bringing I, that. I, I absolutely spaced and that's why better preparation is necessary. I didn't now, plan on talking about You and I are the same this. mind. About a lot of things, but I'm going to, and again, send me hate mail if you want to. I'm going to split with you on something you just said. You said the Joker, Nicholson, uh, Nicholson's Joker is fantastic. I hated it. I Did still you? hate it to this day. I hated Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker because to me, even just in voice alone, Mark Hamill, <laughs> he's just so goofy and creepy. And he's part of the, the, the reason why the Joker is so frightening is because he is unpredictable. He's diabolical. He's, you know... There's a famous scene, and I cannot remember the book. I read the book, but where this guy, where the Joker pulls up on a, um, on, on a curb, to a valet, and he says, "Park my car." And the guy's like, "But you're the Joker." Yeah. Well, you're gonna kill me. Why would I kill you? Because you're the Joker. You kill people. I kill people if it's funny. What would be funny about killing the guy that's parking my car? So the Joker <laughs> is unpredictable and crazy, and I don't think he kills that guy. He comes back and he's like, I didn't kill you. See, I'm not a complete loser. You know, just give me my keys. And <laughs> so he's he's got this weird sort of like, not code of honor or ethics, but like he is unpredictable. And I think the Nicholson Joker, like you said, he was more of a gangster. He was more like... Uh, the voice was wrong. Physically, he was like very like Jack Nicholson is like built like a fire plug. He's very broad shouldered, and the Joker needs to be kind of like angular and like lanky and kind of crazy in that way. Um, so the Nicholson joke, where do they get a load of me? He was just very like he didn't have that funny thing going on. He wasn't like, well, Jack right? Nicholson he wasn't the really clown. Funny. He wasn't the psycho. Right. He was the gangster, and he handled it in a much more. And I more don't like that version way. of the character. Okay, no, I, I don't get care you. for Nicholson's portrayal because it just seemed I to me you. to be physically wrong. It was it was wrong tonally, um, in a way that like 
if you watch Ledger's Joker, he's very like rangy and he's kind of like flopping around a lot. And he's like, like when he blows up the hospital, it doesn't go. He's sort of like, you know, and that's kind of the way the Joker needs to be is very like, you never know where he's coming from. Whereas Jack Nicholson, his Joker was just really like, he was, he was menacing in a way that wasn't goofy, unpredictable, rangy, or psychotic in a way that it right. needed to be. He was more psychopathic. He wasn't like a loose cannon. You knew, you, you could see him coming, you know? And uh, my wife, Daniela, hello, Daniela, uh, is in the chat. Thank and uh, she said uh, that uh, she doesn't know how anyone's ever going to be able to top Heath Ledger as the Joker, her opinion. I kind of agree yeah. with that. And then she goes on to say, unpopular opinion. Uh, Batman has more than likely killed and probably dozens due to him uh, beating the shit out of uh, someone and their body can't recover or due to his actions and how he treats a situation. Uh, blood is still on his hands and he refuses to acknowledge it. That's absolutely true. That's been covered widely in a lot of the uh, it really uh, has. topics of um, vigilante justice and Batman in particular. Uh, these people with these strong moral codes, yet, you know... Even uh, they even go so far as to include Spider-Man in that discussion now, because it's been widely discussed in comics that Spider-Man's webbing lasts uh, an hour. It dissolves mm-hmm. after yeah. an hour because otherwise you'd have webbing all over New York. It'd be a goddamn mess. You'd have to have a toxic crew clean up that shit afterwards, and uh, it'd be like somebody teepeed New York. Right. Um, and he's always sticking people to walls and sticking people's hands to light poles and. Hanging people upside down in web baskets and shit. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. notoriously discovered that his webbing only lasts an hour. So, yeah, what they don't understand and what they don't really touch on is that in the comics, he's webbing people to the side of buildings. He's webbing people upside down from poles. Uh, What happens if no one cuts him down? (laughs) Taking people off rooftops? Right. And in the video game especially. Yeah, I do that a lot. He's uh, he's placing a lot of, of responsibility for... Making sure that his his uh, rogues gallery and like random thugs don't die on the, uh, on Ran- the police department. Police department, random sure passerby, yeah. Firemen with the, the cherry pickers, they got to come and cut those guys down. Otherwise, they're gonna yeah the webbing all. Imagine being a thug that Spider Man has webs to the wall with some kind of quip. Hey, hang out. I'll see you later. And then he swings away, and then you slowly watch over the next hour as your webbing <laughs> dissolves, and you, you hope the cops come Uh-oh. before you plummet to Uh-oh. your death. <laughs> Off oh, the shit! The, uh, the Flatiron Building. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, I agree. I agree with Daniela. She said that uh, blood's still on his hands. And yeah, that's just something that's kind of an unspoken, agreed-upon thing. And and that's kind of what we discussed in the uh, uh, episode where we talked about uh, damages and damage control and, and yep. uh, acts of God and things like that covered under insurance. And the death toll in these movies, as catastrophic as they are... We definitely yeah. touched on that there, too. So uh, Josh says he agrees with you on Jack Nicholson, by the way. I appreciate that. You get a win. So I'm going to go with uh, uh, my favorite Joker is going to be Heath Ledger with a side of Joaquin Phoenix. But a special shout out should be given to Mark Hamill because I will never not be able to read a Batman comic and not hear that voice of the Joker as Mark Hamill. Exactly. That's exactly what... And, and same with Kevin Conroy. Um, but I think I'm with you on this one. I think the best portrayal of Joker on film, um, again, with all due respect to Joaquin Phoenix, but without Batman, he just kind of... It, you know, that, that movie could have been about any random psychopath. It didn't have to be Joker-branded. Because um, without Batman, there's no Joker. Without Joker, there's no Batman. I think the best portrayal of Joker on film has got to be Heath Ledger. 
He was fantastic. The pencil trick, the scene with Harvey Dent in the hospital, the, the, the blowing up of said hospital. I mean, he is brilliant and psychotic and unpredictable, and he's everything the Joker should be physically, the note perfect. But again, best Joker overall, Mark Hamill. Best Joker on film, Heath Ledger. Agreed. So now, uh, as far as that goes, you guys can continue to leave comments here. I'm still reading them. I still enjoy getting all of these. But I kind of wanted to, to, to veer off the conversation now and kind of talk about some exciting shit that's in the works for uh, the Feel Your Fan and Podcast. Because we got a couple little tidbits and, and uh, ideas and things that are kind of uh, producing fruit at this point. So uh, I didn't know a better way to say that. My goodness, these are the things you edit out. Uh, bearing fruit. Um, mm-hmm. One of those awesome things is, uh, okay, so here's a bit of a mea culpa. And I'm going to, because I, I, I know I was, I was trying to figure out a way to talk about this without implicating myself in this, but there's really no way around it. I, uh, for a while, had been uh, downloading comic books on the sly, which a lot of people didn't know you could do. But yeah, there's a way to BitTorrent comic books. And no, I'm not going to tell you yep. how if you ask me, because... Very recently, I have a lot of comic book writer friends, uh, and and one of my comic writer friends uh, uh, posted a thing on his Facebook uh, talking about how people absorb the media at this point in, in this our digital age, and uh, I said, oh, I've got a subscription to Comicology and like Marvel Unlimited, and then you know sometimes I BitTorrent, and it was brought to my attention that BitTorrenting is not a victimless crime, and, and really you know movies and music and all this shit i've always been as a musician i've always been kind of of the opinion like oh, i don't care if someone bit torrents my music i'm just happy that they're listening to it well that's a very juvenile and naive way to think about it and so i kind of i kind of had some time to be introspective this week and realize uh, my own toxicity uh, as a fan of something that i'm a huge fan of which is comic books and realize that, yeah, the things that I do, the actions that I take, uh, can have a detrimental and damaging impact on uh, specific creators and people that I respect greatly. Um, and so I did a little stepping back. I realize now that I am no longer going to BitTorrent comic books at all, ever. That's just not going to happen anymore. And the best part about realizing your toxicity is getting, in my opinion, is getting a chance to fix it. To, to become a better fan, to become a better person. So uh, I was kicking around ideas with how to do that. And I was talking to Jim about this. And I came up with the idea to uh, put together uh, a charity uh, for children. Because one of the ideas that I have is uh, comic books. The reason I stopped collecting comic books as a whole was because the story arcs were too long. There were too many components to each one. And at three, four, five bucks a pop... It gets really expensive to maintain. And so, and I, I certainly, I mean, if I don't have enough money for a drug habit, I sure as hell don't have enough money for a comic book habit. <laughs> but well, uh, Because what really is the difference at the end of the day? Nothing. It's all addiction. But, uh, uh, and so that's how I justified in my head BitTorrenting. And so uh, that's something I'm stepping back on. And, and of course, uh, I, I, I feel like if I'm not able to afford comic books, of course there's going to be children out there who can't afford the books and comics that they need to be uh, fans themselves. And what the hell is Feel Your Fandom if it's not sharing that love of community and sharing that love of geek culture and fandom with the next generation? We've talked about that before with how uh, uh, I share my nerd culture with my kids. 
and how gratifying it is as a parent to see my kids gravitate towards these things that I hold so dear in my life. And so we decided to kind of put together this charity. Now, this is very, very young. It's very new. So details are still being hashed out. But the basic... still ironing out the kinks. Mm-hmm. But the basic idea behind it is this. The same thing as this phenomena, what we call uh, suspended coffee. It's a thing where you go into a coffee shop and you buy your latte for like four or five bucks and you buy an extra coffee on the side um, that is like not for you. They call it a pending coffee. They put it in a ledger and then uh, uh, when someone comes in and can't afford a coffee, they donate that pending coffee to the person who can't afford it. And so my idea was to do a, tr- a charitable thing called uh, with, with pending comics or pending books, uh, pending nerd culture shit. And like I said, we're still uh-huh. hammering out all the terminology and whatnot. But to have this be available uh, at your local comic book shops to put together a private fund for uh, people who need uh, or not need, I guess need is the wrong word. Uh, the people who can't afford it, the children and the young people who can't afford uh, to be as involved in the hobby as they need to be. And and so I went out and talked to uh, my local comic book owner, uh, comic book store owner, Gabby, uh, and she uh, at Olympic Cards and Comics. I'm going to throw the name out there because she's an amazing person. She does so much charitable work. And kind of that's where I thought it would be a good fit is kind of like the flagship location for this. Yeah. And... Uh, so what we're doing is it's very tentatively right now called Fuel the Future. And the idea behind Fuel the Future is as you go into a comic book shop, you buy what you're going to buy. You buy your, your statues or your action figures or your comic books. You drop two bucks into the fund. And that goes into like a, a, a fund that the comic book shop holds on to for uh, kids in need. And, and maybe that fund gets dispersed uh, all at once as a big giant donation to like children's hospitals or as kids come in to uh, buy comic books and, and, and maybe, you know, here's an extra comic book on this, you know, and, and, and also uh, uh, we want to find a way to make reading and comics more accessible to young people. And so that's kind of what I'm working on right there. I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's very, very young. It's only a baby. It's in its infancy. But uh, if you guys have any uh, recommendations as far as how you feel like that could be uh, handled, I certainly would be willing to listen. Uh, If you've got uh, comic book shops in mind that you think might be good fits for the program, uh, reach out and get in touch with me as well. We're also going to set up a Venmo uh, for the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, And of course, keep in mind, that money is not for us. I will be investigating, right. looking into like a 501k uh, charitable organization donate uh, designation for the podcast um, so that we can do more things um, like charitable uh, donations and events and things like that. But we will set up a Venmo as well. If you feel more comfortable donating to us and we can donate it to the charity at large, uh, we can do that as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm, I'm working on right now. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great idea because, you know, you really do need to, um, you and I got into comics uh, quite a bit when we were kids and we both had local comic book shops we could go to that, you know, had had lots of stuff we could choose from. 
But I mean, you, you got to nurture the next generation of fans, or else uh, these sort of things they 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 die out a little bit. And and I've seen I've been in comic book shops where I've seen kids looking longingly at things they can't afford, or but you know because they're the kids they don't have any money, or they're they just uh, or, or they don't they can't afford to to get things. So I mean, it really does make a difference. It, it, it's it's something that when you first told me about it, I thought it was a fantastic idea. And there's a comic book shop in just about every decent sized town in this country. And sometimes they're struggling too. So to be able to not just generate sales for those stores, but also to raise awareness for this, you know, to to to, to for put, kids that that to, maybe to put, can't get to put interest in the industry, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and to support the creators. It really is just a, it's a win 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 for everybody. And and there's no way that um, that uh, it shouldn't work. I mean, you could just put a barcode on the on the register, and you maybe like if you're at a grocery store or like if you're at the, the fast food place and say, would you like to donate a dollar for, you know, fuel your future for kids to get comics and, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of people will do that. And then you can even make it like a program where they can get like a little punch card or something. There's a million directions you can go in with this. And, mm-hmm. and all of them just benefit creators. They benefit comic shop owners. They benefit kids. And it's just there's not a downside to this that I could see. Right. And so that's kind of what we're working on there. We've got some... Uh... Some other guests coming up uh, that we're working on getting. Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out a way right now to get uh, big old celebrity guests on here too. Uh, once we figure out uh, the proper channels to go to to get that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're working on, on trying to make shit happen uh, for the podcast. To make it go up, up and better and better. And I'm excited about the future. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's something that I really enjoy. And... and and uh, what do you guys think? What are your guys' ideas as far as charity goes? Uh, how would you feel uh, about donating to something like Fuel the Future? Um, let us know. Uh, either email us. You can email those uh, comments to us at uh, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or, or at fyftalentbooking right. at gmail.com. And, and make sure you attach a pie recipe when you do that because we're going to have an episode about that coming up. Right. But then also, uh, you know, hit us up in the Facebook chat and everything and, and let us know. Um, it looks like Josh says, uh, Source Comics and Games in Roseville, Minnesota might be a good fit. You live in Roseville. My mom lives in Roseville, Josh. That's funny. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what we want to do is uh, we're going to start local at my comic book shop here because I already talked to her. We got a, a good basis for charitable work there. And then, and I've got of, a friend who runs a comic book shop here, right in my area too, that I can bug over and talk to. And I'm sure that, you know, any opportunity to uh, to get comics in the hands of kids and create those future fans and and kind of boost the bottom line, it's it's there's there's just no downside. Right, exactly that. So we're going to build that network and, and kind of work on on uh, being the kind of fans that we want other we want to be the kind of fan you want to see other people in the world be. And, and yeah. that's kind of be the change you want to see in the world. Be the fan you want to see in the world. Absolutely. And so, uh, we're going to come up with some artwork for it. We're going to come up with some uh, uh, merchandise for it, maybe. And we're going to come up with uh, maybe some contests and fundraisers and shit like that. It's going to be real fun. I'm looking forward to trying to develop and see where that goes. But uh, so again, uh, we want to thank you guys all for participating in our first uh, Facebook Live podcast. Uh, it's certainly not going to be the last one. Uh, nope. As we iron out the kinks for this, it'll get better and better as well. But uh, uh, from Jim to me and you, and uh, I, I mean, I always talk for you, Jim. You say what you want to say. Good Lord. Well, uh, I, I just appreciate I've, I've had a lot of friends 
recently who have uh, come up to me uh, and, and let me know. Renee loves the show. Uh, my friend Jen loves the show. John. Um, I've had a lot of friends who say that they've been listening and they've been really enjoying what they've been doing. And that, you know, it means a lot to me. We do this because it's fun and we do this because we like talking to each other and, and geeking out about nerd shit. But, I mean, the fact that we got some people listening that are really enjoying it and that, that uh, are giving me feedback and and um, letting us know how much they uh, are enjoying what we're doing, it just means a lot to me and I appreciate it. And um, I just really hope that uh, we continue to make you happy when we pump ourselves into your ear holes. Which sounds disgusting, but it's really what's <laughs> happening. So, you know... And and this podcast uh, will be edited uh, as our regular podcasts are. Uh, no, I'm going to leave in a lot of the shit, but uh, it's going to be warts uh, and all. Warts and all. We're going to tighten it up a little bit. We're going to put in sound drops like we try to do all the time, and kind of uh, make it a real up real live episode of the podcast. And we're going to post that on uh, our Buzzsprout page on uh, Friday the 18th. Uh, mm-hmm. So look for it there. You will hear your names mentioned if you participated. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, but like I said, I want to thank you guys all for participating and being a part of this and, uh, just really being fans of the show and and we're fans of yours. So just keep in mind, like what I always try to remind everybody and what we're trying to do more and more of and be better at and better at everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care everybody.